Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now, you're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. I wore this shirt uh, at a conference in Southern California and ran into Bill Walton and Bill commented uh, on the shirt and was wondering where where the hell I got it and why I was wearing it, uh, and then went into a story about how he met Mark Eaton, uh, 7-4, uh, working as a mechanic in town, and talked to Coach Wooden about him getting a scholarship to UCLA, and then Mark went on to have a nice long career in the NBA. Um, I'm a fan of uh, semi-obscure 80s and 90s basketball players, as uh, uh, my friends know, and uh, my buddy Ryan got me this shirt. Aaron Rodgers with the Mark freaking Eaton t-shirt. I remember Mark Eaton well, Chris Sims. That was back at a time when I right. I watched a lot of basketball, consumed a lot of the NBA. Yeah. The Michael Jordan, Larry Bird, Magic Johnson, Aaron. It was Mark Eaton, all seven foot four of them on the Utah Jazz. You know how the Utah Jazz came to be? They were the New Orleans Jazz, They, which made sense. Of course. Perfect sense. Right. Then they moved to Utah. And they just never changed their name. Yeah. They just and Utah. They played jazz in Utah a, too, apparently somewhere. Uh, well, <laughs> yeah, on a basketball court, and that's about it. Good morning, Chris. How are you? I'm doing good, man. Yeah, I remember Mark Eaton, and oddly enough, then you bring up Michael Jordan and all that. I think there's that old clip too of like him dunking over Mark Eaton and like talking to the the jazz sideline about it, like because Jordan had dunked on a smaller player and everybody was getting on him. And then he dunked on somebody like Mark Eaton, who was seven feet. And he was like, is he tall enough? Uh, you know, when you grow up in my age, at my in my you know era, Michael Jordan come fly with me, Michael Jordan's playground. I used to watch those videos all the time. So I can remember so many plays and players from that back back in that day. Who any obscure player that was like your favorite back in the day that you know is not a mainstream name? 
Well, I, I remember some of the guys that never really resonated nationally right. and have no staying power. One guy that I loved was Michael Cooper from the Showtime Ooh. Lakers. Do you remember Michael Cooper? Of course. Cooper, the number Cooper 21, Luke Michael Cooper, and, right. And he, would, and he would shoot from the corner. He would shoot like this ultra-high rainbow shot that would just go come straight down and go through. There was this I'd, arc like no player ever had. He had the white socks pulled all the way up to his knees, and, and, and it looked like he could just fly like he was walking on air. So yeah. I was a big Michael Cooper fan a long, long time ago. I remember having a video. SI used to put out basketball videos, and they had one – that, and this was, you know, at the height of the music video era. So they would take a song and they would splice a bunch of highlights for all right. the different star players at the time. Yeah. And they did Michael Jordan to take my breath away from Top Gun, Berlin's song, and everything. The whole thing was slow motion. And I used to watch that over and over again. I think I still have it somewhere. I don't have a VHS player to play it in, but it was awesome. You love the song, and, and or was the, one, it was the, the no, song the whole thing. Jordan? No, no, no. <laughs> it was the it was it was Jordan slow motion to yeah, that song, right. and, and like they had one for Charles Barkley and one for Larry Bird and all the star players at the time. It, it was great. It was great. The first four or five were awesome. Then maybe it tailed off a little bit, but the Jordan one was you could watch it over and over again. So anyway, uh, hard hard to really have an affinity for many obscure players in the eighties and nineties when Jordan was dominating and he was the draw he was the reason oh definitely why basketball was so popular no doubt so yeah i mean well the was, nfl go go ahead popular sorry. enough yeah the nfl popular enough in the uk that there's now a dedicated sky sports channel and chris we have moved from a live slot at 2 p.m local time to at least for today 5 p.m it's going to be five some days seven other days close enough to prime time to call it prime time so we say hello to the live peacock audience live sirius xm 211 audience but Starting today, it's no longer live, which does indeed give the folks in London a chance, a fair opportunity to listen back to the show and remove any of the words that you may say, Chris, not me, but you, Whatever. that may have to be removed. They'll, they'll be able to stop putting the message at the bottom of the screen, apologizing for the strong language. Even And people have sent me still frames saying, you know, they put this message up and you guys didn't really even say anything yeah. that should justify putting the message up. I think they just They just know. They're like, this it's guy. It's probably a good idea to do it. <laughs> we never know. Let's put the warning out there. This guy's been known <laughs> to slip up early in the morning from time to time, so you never know. But, uh, yeah, now you don't have to worry about that. That's good, and I'm glad we're on in prime time there. Uh, it makes me feel like I'm more big time here in America, so that's good to hear. Yeah, well, and we'll see. Uh, we'll see how it goes there. On we used to be on tape delay, as they used to call it in the '80s and the '90s. Tape delay. Now we're back to tape delay. But yes, an opportunity to clean up uh, on aisle seven anything that you may say that uh, can be used against us. All right, let's get off uh, on a better foot today. A week away from the start of the season. I can't believe it. I can't like, believe it either. We're, we're emerging. I feel like a 17-year locust, right? Not that anyone can relate to the concept of being buried underground for 17 years and finally approaching the light of day, but that's how it feels. We've been caught in this nightmare, this Groundhog Day that never ends, that never changes, and we're a week away from turning on the television and seeing the red helmet with the Casey on the side, seeing the blue helmet with the bull on the side, and watching a football game. It's almost incomprehensible, Chris. No, it is. I mean, I think there's still people here in the NBC building that are like, can you believe we're going to have a game next week? Like, we're doing a game. I know we got to start getting ready and preparing and having a rehearsal for that Thursday night game. And, you know, I know we're going to do something on Wednesday and – it's just, it's amazing. I'm so glad we're at this point because 
it was such an up and down journey throughout the spring and summer and just worrying about whether we're going to have it, what's going to happen, you know, with everything, you know, our jobs, all of it. So it's just, it's great that we have it. And uh, it's great that the NFL has put such good protocols in place. And yeah, I, I mean, I feel good. And I also feel good to the point, Mike, I don't know where you're at with this, where I just go, I don't know. I don't. I, I right now the way I hear coaches, teams, players are all approaching this. I feel really good at this point that like we might not miss any games this year in the NFL season with what what they got in place. And I don't want to jinx it, so I'm going to knock on wood somewhere. Well, here's the thing, and I heard from someone yesterday that the concern is number one complacency yeah. on the part of the players because things have gone well. Number two, as we shift from training camp mode to regular season mode. That necessarily entails less access to the players. So they are left to their own devices yes. more often yes. when you're in the week-in and week-out regular season right. than when you're in training camp and they're basically under your thumb every single day. So there's concern between success, breeding complacency, and less access to the players. There's concern that maybe, maybe – they're, they're in for some issues that they didn't have to deal with over the course of the last month. But so far, so good, and we can only hope that it will continue. But I agree with you. I think they're determined to get the games in. I really do. And even if there are players who get knocked out the day of the game, I don't think it's going to be so many that it's going to cause games to yeah, be wiped out. That's, that's the way I feel. It's going to be next right. man up, right. and off we go. Right. All right, off we go with the news, what you need to know. Leonard Fournette, Whoa. not out of work for very long. He cleared waivers after being released on Monday by the Jaguars. No one wanted him until he became a free agent. There was some buzz yesterday that the Patriots were interested. More on that in a second. Once that got out, though, in come the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And Leonard Fournette quickly signs on to become a bruising between the tackles, compliment to Ronald Jones, and I don't know what's going to happen with Sean McCoy. I'm told that he's been told he's not going anywhere. I'll believe it when I see it. But Leonard Fournette staying close to home and joining Tom Brady, Mike Evans, Rob Gronkowski, guy who had 1,152 rushing yards last year. Chris, you know, I, 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 uh, I'm intrigued to say oh. the least by what he's going to do for the Buccaneers. No, I mean, I, you know, this is uh, to me, this is a steal. You know that I, I value the player at a, at a very high level. Now, you know, is he a headache off the field? Yeah. The more that the, we've sat here and, and separated ourselves from this, you know, the Jaguars and the story. Yeah. The more I've heard that he's a, maybe a little bit more of a headache than I gave him credit for in Jacksonville. But uh, I still think he's too talented as we see for teams to turn down. And, of course, a guy like uh, Bruce Arians with a Tom Brady at quarterback, if he's concerned about, ooh, this guy's a pain in the butt or whatever else, I think he probably looks at it and goes, I think i got a pretty good culture here right now to where, you know, not saying it's New England, but I think people are going to come in, they're going to buy in, they're going to see what Brady's doing, Gronk's there, there's a lot of good leadership. And then you talk about football. I mean, yeah, compliment to Ronald Jones, sledgehammer runner. But, man, I, you know, Mike, that's where I look at it and go, He's, he's got more big playability than a Ronald Jones or anybody else in that roster. I would be shocked if he's not the go-to guy. And to me, where it's really great for the Bucs is that they'll take pressure off the Arians, 
Brady pass game early in the season a little bit to where it just won't have to, hey, to, you know, we don't have to worry about Tom having to drop back and throw it 35 times every game as we get the O-line fixed and all that. Now they're going to have a true viable threat that's going to scare people in the run game, and I think it takes the pressure off the pass game and Evans and everything like that, and of course it'll make them more balanced and a little more effective, especially early in the year when they're trying to get their feet underneath them. What do you make of the fact that the analytics crowd isn't a big fan of Leonard Fournette? Well, yeah, I, I I get that, but you know the analytics crowd. Okay, well, so where was the defense supposed to go in Leonard Fournette's rookie year? Because people are mad at him because it was three point nine yards per carry. Listen, Blake Bortles couldn't throw the ball seven feet, so nobody played pass defense against Jacksonville. <laughs> Everybody's got to like it's a team sport. So everybody, if you went back and watched film from that year, you'd go, whoa, I mean, there's nine guys within like, you know, eight yards of the line of scrimmage. Everybody was ready for Leonard Fournette in the run game. I mean, when you played Jacksonville back then, it was don't let them run the clock out. Don't let Fournette beat you. And then don't turn the ball over and let Jalen Ramsey and Yannick and Gakwe and Calais Campbell score defensive touchdowns. Same thing last year. It's not a whole lot different. Quarterback issues. They couldn't really get it going. Teams knew. Okay, Leonard Fournette in the run game, that's what the Jacksonville Jaguars are going to establish. And also, Jacksonville's still in the process of trying to figure out their offensive line right now. So what makes people think that it just was like wide open holes and he was messing up? You know, I even saw somebody challenge me the other day and went, you know, well, Miles Sanders breaks more tackles than Leonard Fournette. And I go, okay, yeah, maybe the statistics show that. They wouldn't if it was apples for apples, two guys in the hole, and one of them have to go against each other. But so many runs of Leonard Fournette are get to the line of scrimmage, and there's nowhere to go. So he's like almost in place, like, where do I go? There's no hole, there's nothing. And then the first guy that tackles him, he's kind of stuck in a mosh pit, and he goes down. And as compared to Miles Sanders, who got to run behind a really good offensive line and had a big, big holes to go through, there was more room to make people miss, more room to make that defender get on their heels a little bit to then where maybe he can run them over. So analytics, there's so much more context to it all the time. And I think you'll see his worth a little bit more here with an offense that will be able to take some of the stress off of him, and you're going to have to worry about other things in that passing game and Brady and so on. I yeah, explained that okay? How was that? I think you did. Analytics has its place, but we ultimately have to acknowledge that football is a different kind of animal when you you start to play, and it's 11 on 11. And how one guy does is so dependent on what the other 10 do or fail to do. And, and like you said, if there isn't a passing threat, it makes it harder to run because the right. scheme is going to be designed to take away the guy who had 1,152 rushing yards last year, 76 catches for 522 yards on top of it, over 1,600 yards from scrimmage, the quietest 1,600 yards from scrimmage it's that insane. anyone had last right. year, more rushing yards than Joe Mixon, Dalvin Cook, Aaron Jones, and Josh Jacobs, and 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 yeah, he sucks for some reason. I don't understand it. Some. I don't get it. So yep. we'll, we'll see what he does with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. But Chris, I, I want to go back to how this all came together yesterday. Yeah. Because when I saw the report that the Patriots – are interested right I had my 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 initial reaction was no they're not because if they were you wouldn't, we wouldn't know it. about it until they sign him right and in the event that they were interested the key conjugation is were because they tell agents all the time if any of this gets out 
We're out. Yes. The, the, the Patriots, unlike any other team, have mastered the ability of getting everyone afraid of what they will do if you run your mouth. You don't run your mouth. Right. Period. Right. So I personally believe, and go ahead and, and flash the conspiracy theory message at the bottom of the screen, I believe that Fournette's camp strategically leaked it to somebody who covers the Patriots to get the Buccaneers or someone else interested. And we said this with Cam Newton. If anyone had any idea that Bill Belichick was interested in Cam Newton, Cam Newton would have been gone before Bill Belichick had a chance to sign him. And I think that's what happened yesterday. Someone put out the false idea that the Patriots were interested in Fournette, and it woke the Buccaneers up. And mission accomplished. And that's how the sausage gets made sometimes, folks. Yeah. And I think that's how it got made yesterday. Yeah, I, Mike, I don't doubt it. Uh, you know, first off, you're spot on. If, if an agent, player leaks that, oh, I might be signing with the Patriots or I'm in New England visiting them right now, the, 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 the Patriots will cut the cord immediately and move on. Because they'll know that to them, that's like, oh, we can't trust you. You can't get in the trust tree here. Because who knows who you're going to tell and what you're going to say once you get here on the team and you're going to release information that way. Yeah, they don't want anybody ever knowing. That's the way they run their organization. And you're right. They've, they've done a good job of scaring people within their organization or anybody that wants to do business with their organization from talking. Uh, and they're masters at that. And then I'm, I'm kind of with you, Mike. You know, the other dot to connect here is Jason Light, the GM of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, he came from New England, too. And it just makes me wonder if, like, you know, Leonard Fournette's agent in his camp realized, like, hey, you know, Tampa kind of likes our guy, but I need to get, you know, they might need a, a little nudge over the edge to make this happen. Maybe I float that New England rumor and Jason Light, who came from New England, is going to be like, oh, I'm not going to let those guys get him. You know, and that amps up his intensity or fire or whatever to sign him. I, I, I thought kind of the same things, Mike, when it went down. And I have, a, I have a hard time thinking that New England was legitimately interested, too, with the fact that it came out publicly. And when Jason Light gets a phone call from a guy who played quarterback for 20 years in New England that we better get this guy, that creates a greater sense of urgency as well. And I think that, look, and I'm, I'm being complimentary of whoever from Fournette's camp recognized this is the way to light the fuse. Right. Because it worked. Right. Right. It worked and it worked to perfection. And now he's got a deal to play for one year with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and we'll see where it goes. From there, Alvin Kamara has a deal to play one more year with the New Orleans Saints before he'd be eligible for the franchise tag or whatever else may happen. They're trying to get something worked out in New Orleans. My understanding is they're likely to get it done by Monday. But given the way things blew up earlier this week, who the hell knows? Kamara was back at practice on Wednesday, an encouraging sign given that there was a perception like Joe Mixon last week with his migraines or air quotes migraines was holding in Kamara doing the same with a knee or whatever it is that was giving him trouble. He's back. And after practice, Sean Payton, the coach of the new Orleans saints addressed the fact that they are indeed working on a new contract for Alvin Kamara. Here's Payton. We're actively negotiating a contract with he and his agent, and uh, we'll keep you posted if there's any progress. If you guys don't reach a contract agreement, do you foresee this being something where maybe he doesn't play week one? I think that's a, a little uh, previous right now. We're focused on him being a part of our plan week one. 
Well, he didn't completely close the door. I think he meant to say premature. Yes. Instead of previous. Right. But I think I think you know they didn't close the door there on him not playing week one, which is which is kind of jarring, and and which it 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 it's another piece of this puzzle that points to players having a new type of power, Chris, getting closer and closer to what you suggested earlier this week when we were talking about Riley Reef getting squeezed by the Vikings to take less money. He eventually did. A player saying, I'm just not playing. Whether it's an injury that I actually have that I don't want to put at risk or it's an injury I don't have or I just don't even need to hide behind an injury. I'm not playing until you take care of me. I think it's kind of surprising that Peyton left the door open on the possibility of Kamara not playing week one. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I, I think players are just continuing to get more and more business savvy and trying to figure out, realize, capitalize on the power they might have within a football team to get more money. And yeah, Alvin Kamara, like we've talked about the last few days, he's got some power there because he's such a he's a good player. And he's such an integral part of this making the scheme work with Sean Payton. But, yeah, I mean, to me, first off, I'd have a hard time thinking that, you know, the Saints, first, they say they'd want a first-rounder for Alvin Kamara. I don't think they're going to get that at this point. I don't. You know, so, yeah, if they don't get a deal done here within the next, you know, week or so, uh, I'm guessing the, the, the possibility of Alvin Kamara not playing week one is probably a real possibility. But I have a hard time thinking that won't happen. I, you know, Mike, like he kind of falls in that category a little bit what you talked about yesterday. You know, he was drafted by the team. He's got great fantasy success, so he's homegrown. Everybody's seen him. The team wins when he's been there, and everybody looks at it, and I feel like the, you know, the Saints have, have, have put themselves into a corner here where, yeah, they're going to have to pay the guy and, and probably bend and maybe pay a little bit more than they really want to here. Yeah, I mean, the point being that this is the first guy who's in position to get paid like a high-end workhorse running back who isn't Not, used right. like a high-end workhorse running back. I think the difference in touches last year for Alvin Kamara and Christian McCaffrey, who's getting $16 million a year, McCaffrey was north of 400. Kamara was in the range of, I think, 220 to 250. That's a huge difference in usage. And he's on the brink of falling somewhere between Joe Mixon at 12 and Christian McCaffrey at 16 million per year. And isn't it wild? I saw this yesterday. Exactly 81 receptions each of the three years of his career. What a strange coincidence it to really land is. on 81 three straight seasons. But look at the yards per reception, how it's gone from 10-2 to 8-8 to 6-6. Isn't that strange to see that kind of a drop? Yeah, it's strange. I think, you know, one, maybe health is a part of that. Like last year, we know he, so he's not breaking tackles and getting yards after the catch maybe like he used to, right? So that probably affected it. The other thing is he's become such a key part of the offense. People, I think, have just honed in on him where it's just like, hey, where's 41? Where's 13? Okay, there's Michael Thomas. There's Alvin Kamara. We got special calls and special things we're going to do to take them out of the pass game or at least limit the damage they're going to do. And I, I would think that more or less is the biggest reason for why it's dropped. And, of course, the injuries. Like he told us at the Super Bowl this year, they were real. And he played through them. Yeah. He played through them, and he still had a solid season, but but not the season that we're accustomed to. But again, the Saints privately believe that Alvin Kamara is every bit as good as Christian McCaffrey, and I've been told multiple times now, 
once the Panthers paid McCaffrey $16 million, that is when the Saints soiled their pants, yeah. frankly. I don't know that that will get the message at the bottom of the screen in the U.K., but sorry, that's when they I got they very concerned that. about the future and about what Alvin Kamara was going to want because if they believe he's as good as McCaffrey and McCaffrey's getting 16, where does Kamara come in when you don't use him the way the Panthers use no, I think that's- Christian McCaffrey. That's the big thing, Mike. That's the big thing, the usage. And, you know, a little bit of just the whole offense is based around Christian McCaffrey and Carolina. And you were right with your numbers. You know, Alvin Kamara was around 250 touches last year. You know, yes, McCaffrey was above 400. So that just tells you in itself, you know, every game, every play, decoy-wise, McCaffrey is a huge part of all of that. Kamara is a part of that in New Orleans to a degree. Yes, but they have other weapons, and of course they have one of the greatest offensive game plan designers in the history of the football, who's gotten just about every running back that's played for him off in the passing game. So let's not forget that. I mean, whoever's gone there to play running back gets catches in the pass game. So uh, I think, yeah, and I think they probably have told Alvin Kamara how great he is, Kamara how great he is, and that's also, you know, it, it's it, they've, they're stuck where, yeah, they're going to have to pay him, but I don't think they're getting close to Christian McCaffrey number. I don't think that's happening. I say Kamara, you say Kamara, we say Kirk. Bruce Allen says Kirk. Let's move on to Kirk okay. Cousins. Kirk with a K, with two Ks, Kirk Cousins. We spent some time yesterday talking about his comments from more than a month ago on Kyle Brandt's podcast about COVID-19. And either we said it during the show or I wrote it at profootballtalk.com or both, but I saw what would happen yesterday. We envisioned it. We knew that there was going to be a clarification after Kirk Cousins made comments that, you know, look, on the surface, we're troubling. You understand what he's saying, but right. even then there was this sense that he's using language that's going to embolden the anti-mask crowd. It just was unfortunate. It cried out for clarification. Yesterday, Kirk with 2K's Cousins provided that clarification out of the gates, out of the box, as an introductory statement during a video conference with reporters. Here's Kirk Cousins from yesterday. I uh, probably wasn't as clear as I would have liked to have been. Um, but what I wanted to say then, what I what I would echo again now, is that uh, while the virus does not give me a great amount of personal fear, um, you know, there's still great reason for me to engage in wearing a mask and social distancing and you know, washing my hands as frequently as I can and, and, and following protocols that have been set in place, uh, obviously to be respectful and considerate of other people, uh, which is very important. But then also, um, you know, to be available for all 16 games this fall, because as the protocol is set up, if, if a player were to test positive, they would be potentially out of a game or games. And so, uh, you know, there's, there's plenty of reasons to, uh, to wear a mask, social distance, and be very vigilant to uh, to help stop the spread of, of the virus. So that was the heart behind what I was trying to say in July. Admittedly, I didn't say it as clear as I would have liked to. So I uh, just want to you know share that same message again and hopefully articulate it a little bit better. But uh, that that has always been my heart and uh, and is again now. 
He did articulate it better, right? He couldn't have articulated it much worse than he did on that podcast. But when I hear him say be respectful and considerate, it's almost like he's talking about, you know, don't put microwave or don't put popcorn, excuse me, in the microwave. Don't put fish in the microwave in the office. That's respectful and considerate. This is a bigger issue than being respectful and considerate. This is about not exposing people who are at physical risk of death to a virus that can and in many cases will kill them. So it's 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 something stronger than being respectful and considerate. But but what he said yesterday was far better than what he said back in July. And Chris, right. I'm surprised that there wasn't an effort to get ahead of this. He knew this was coming out. Yeah, Did right. he just not connect? Did he not think? Did he not assume it was going to be a big deal? I, I think in hindsight, it would have been better to find a way to get ahead of it before that thing came out. Well, he probably didn't really realize, you know, sometimes you get done with an interview and you think, hey, I, I articulated that point pretty well. I think it's good. And then you move on with life and oh, man, OK, now it's four weeks later and it's thrown out in my face. And oh, man, I didn't articulate that point as well as I would have liked. I, I mean, I think it's as simple as that, you know, one just being around him. Knowing people that know him, you know, this is not a jerk of a person. This is not a bad guy, a mean guy. There's no malice within him. He's got a lot of good with him. And, yeah, he doesn't fear it. But, yes, I, I think he's completely aware of the consequences that could happen and all of that. And, uh, yeah, hopefully he cleared that up a little bit. And I hear you with the language. Could have been maybe a little stronger. But still, uh, I'm okay with it. In all fairness, and I agree with you, yeah. good person, right, good teammate, yep. good quarterback. There's an element of goofy. There's an element of awkward. And that may have been what came through in the original comments. That filter, right? That self-awareness right. that that maybe he doesn't have to the level that he should. I remember in the early years of The Office, one of the producers explained that the beauty of Michael Scott is that Michael Scott is everywhere. And either you know a Michael Scott in your own life or you don't which means you're the Michael Scott. <laughs> right. And I would, I would suggest that Kirk Cousins does not know a Michael Scott because I think he is the Michael Scott of the Minnesota Vikings, and that's fine. Michael Scott ultimately at the end of the day is a heartwarming, lovable character, but from time to time says things that in hindsight he probably wishes he wouldn't have said, and I think that's what transpired for Kirk Cousins. Got a little too comfortable, got a little too yeah. loose, yes. and didn't run the words through the filter. And it's surprising because – when he was asked the question about where he lands on a scale of 1 to 10, with 1 being masks are stupid and you're all a bunch of lemmings, he said, I'm not going to use the word stupid because I don't want to get accused of saying the wrong thing. So the filter was on. It just was in the right place. It wasn't in the right place. Yeah, and he just, I think, went a little you know, hard to prove his point, where to prove his point of I'm not in fear of this, you know, he might have gone too strong with, like, you know, the Rocky Four. if I die, I die, you know, or if he dies, he dies, right? Doesn't he say that about Apollo Creed when he knocks him out, the Russian? But, yeah, I just think there were some things there where, yeah, he got a little cocky or whatever and, and yes, just didn't guard his words quite correctly or have the filter or whatever it may be. But I know he's going to do the right things for society and we will continue to do those. I know that. I, I, I don't doubt that one bit. Uh, and, yeah, you just hope guys can – send the proper verbal messages out there too so we can all still just do the right thing to squash this thing and, and move on with life. And let me just say this before we break. Far more than if I die, I die, that use kind of flippantly of the phrase survival of the fittest, I think 
rubbed a lot of people sure. the wrong way. Right. Because there's an arrogance to that. And and also just kind of an acceptance. Hey, hey, sorry, if you're sick, right? If you can't keep up, it's the it's the a wildebeest that can't keep up with the pack that gets eaten by the lions. Sorry, see you later. We're out of here. So that that I, and we we noticed that in real time. Yeah. Survival of the fittest. Yeah. And and as the day unfolded, I heard more and more from people saying, "There's you know that that's more problematic than saying if I die, I die." All right, we got to take a break. Yesterday, Roger Goodell spoke again about competitive advantage or lack thereof when it comes to having fans at games versus not having fans at games, and he doubled down on his belief that there's no competitive advantage. We'll discuss that and more when PFT Live continues right after this. We do not see, and our clubs do not see, a competitive advantage at all about whether fans are in one stadium or another. That was Commissioner Roger Goodell appearing yesterday on CNBC. He was asked the question, and the question contained the assumption that there is a huge competitive advantage. And he said, well, I take issue with the fact that there is a huge competitive advantage. We and our clubs don't see a competitive advantage. And some of the clubs definitely do. Yeah. Bills, Vikings, Raiders, Panthers most recently. Owner David Tepper came out and said, hey, this kind of stinks that all the other teams in my division can have fans, and I can't. I'm at a disadvantage. I just don't understand. I don't either. Why the commissioner continues to say something that is factually incorrect. And I I don't know if there's a broader point that he's trying to make and he's not making it the way he wants. I think at some level he's pointing to the idea that, hey, the Chargers played in front of 30,000 last year, and most of those weren't even their fans. In Seattle, it's deafening. They register on the Richter scale under certain circumstances. It's so loud there. Other stadiums are specifically designed to amplify the noise. Some stadiums are smaller. Some are larger. But but still, there's something to be said for being at a home. It's called the home field advantage for a reason. Now, part of it is you sleep in your own bed, or at least you sleep in the sure. hotel that the team yeah. uses the night before. You don't have to travel. Have to travel, yeah. But it's but it's but it's more than that. Yes. it's having people there who would prefer that you win over you losing, and they will use the mechanisms they have available, specifically their vocal cords, to assist in the process. So yes, it's an advantage, and it's a competitive disadvantage for the teams that can't have fans. And I don't know why they just won't admit it. Just come out and say, as we said yesterday, when we talked about the issue after Roger Goodell made the same comments on Monday during a conference call with reporters, just come out and say, this is not going to be a perfect season. Yeah. There's going to be a lot of things this year that aren't normal. We'd rather have 256 abnormal games than zero normal games. And if that means doing what we can to let the fans in in some places and they can't get in other places, we're just going to have to live with that. I don't know why they just won't say that. I, I, I'm with you. I mean, like, Mike, let, let's spitball. I mean, is it does it have something to do with the gambling? Like, is, is there something that, like, you know, they think that fans will contest? Like, oh wait, this is not a, this is not legit. This team got to, you know, have fifty thousand. No. Yeah, I, I mean, okay, no. yeah. So no, you no, know, because the no, because the line reflects it. That's the thing. The betting lines are going to be adjusted to reflect where fans are and where fans aren't. Right. And the mere fact that in determining who gets points and how many points they get, 
who's at home is a factor. Being at home is worth three points. Yes. Typically. Right. And in some places, it's worth more than three points. Right. Why? Because there's a greater advantage. So these are almost neutral site games if you don't have fans present. The only edge for the home team is they didn't have to travel. That's it. The edge that comes from having a group of fans who are tilted in your favor, in some cases extremely heavily and loudly, that gets factored in to the process. So no one's going to be concerned about it from a gambling. Of course it's a competitive disadvantage. Of course it is. I, I don't know why the NFL is trying to create the impression that it's going to be some pristine environment this year where it's apples to apples. It's not. Just accept it. Just accept it. Yeah. And I, I just, again, I don't know who is being catered to when he says this other than Jerry Jones, the only owner who has come out and said there's nothing unfair about him having his stadium half full and, you know, a lot of his rivals, like when he goes to play the Giants, they definitely will have no one because they've already made it clear all season long they won't have any fans. Right. Yeah. Well, it, it, like, all right, there's two things I, I'd like to articulate. First off, I mean, is this a huge disadvantage? No, no not to where I look at it and go like, oh, man, this is really unfair. Gosh, you know, the New York Giants, let's just use them as an example because you just said that it's not fair, really. I mean, the Cowboys have such an advantage over them this year. Man, that really bothers me as a guy who likes competition and played in the NFL. No, it's not to that extent. But to totally ignore it and say that there is no advantage to be had, I, I can't buy that. And, you know, here's the biggest reason why. I can just speak from my experience a little bit in maybe some situations like this. My last game as an NFL pro or not, not not my last game, Emmett Smith's last game as an NFL pro. Remember that? He was in the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, this is the 2004 season. I'm the quarterback. It's week 16. Slight difference. Right, slight, slight difference. difference. Slight, a Hall of Fame legend and a guy that nobody gives a hell about. But the 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 so now there we're in Arizona, meaningless last game of the year, right? There, there's uh, 20,000 people in the stands, okay? 20,000. Now maybe 25. It's still now, was it deafening that day? No, it was not. I could still get my communication done at the line of scrimmage, but was it loud enough to where it made life harder on our football team as compared to the Arizona Cardinals? Definitely. And without a doubt, you know, there's still the chance of, hey, they're yelling and I've gone around and communicated, man, my right tackle didn't hear it clearly because it's, uh, it's loud enough to where you might mishear a word or not get it clearly or whatever it is. So there is, I, there is an advantage to be had. Does it like grossly impact the game to where I look at it and go, oh man, it's worth like 10 points. This is unbelievable. No, it's not to that point. But uh, I think to just totally dismiss it, uh, I don't think that's realistic. Yeah, look, there is an advantage. There clearly is to having fans as opposed to not having fans. And there's a disadvantage if you don't. Again, David Tepper, the owner of the Panthers, said yesterday, a day after the commissioner came out and said there's no competitive advantage. And, and David Tepper, who very well may have seen the commissioner on CNBC yesterday because David Tepper made all of his money in that world with stocks and buying stocks and trading stocks and billions. He's one of the richest owners, if not the richest owner in the NFL. He said yesterday... I am at a disadvantage if I can't have fans and I have to go on the road and play the Buccaneers, Saints, and Falcons, and they have fans present at their games. And the fans agree, although, Chris, I'm stunned. I put out a poll question yesterday. Very simple. Do you believe there is a competitive advantage for teams that have fans in the stands? 
74.1% said yes, 25.9% said no. And my question is, what the hell is the 25.9% smoking? I, I of don't know. Of course there is. I, I, I'm with you. I, I mean, I, but you know what? It's not as, listen, our producer, Matt Casey, right? Who he loves sports. He's into it all. He, he's not sure that there's an advantage to be had there too. And I don't know if I exactly understand his, his reasoning all the way. Okay. So he now he is, is, well, I must've swayed. We must've swayed him with this. So, <laughs> okay. Uh, oh, maybe it's Pete Demolitis. He's the one. He's, he says it's a 20, he's 20, he's part of the 25%. He just texted me right now, live on the show. So he's one of these guys that for some reason, I don't know what his logic is that doesn't think that this is an advantage, which I want to tell Pete, who's listening, you're crazy, Pete. Sorry. I'm just going to, I'm going to text you something too live on the show since we're texting live on the show there. Okay. I just texted you something. You better be careful. Whatever you text me, I'm going to do on this can on the screen. No, 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 no. Whatever let's not do comes that. up, no, I'm going to no. have to copy and tell everybody that you did. Uh, oh, I see. Mike. <laughs> so, yeah. So, um, the middle finger text. Thank you. Let's, uh, that's just, that's our greeting, right? Yes, I is. mean, that's like two animals out in the wild. That's the greeting. We give each other the middle finger. We do it every morning. That's our hello. That's our good morning. And we do it out of love, not out of any type of animosity. That's right. All right. Um, yeah, Pete, uh, I don't know what you're thinking. Of course, there's an advantage. And, uh, most people would say there is. And I just, I, Whatever point the commissioner is trying to make, he needs to get together with his PR people and they need to refine it. They need to work on it. They need to clarify it because that is not going over well with the fan base. And I don't know who is being catered to by saying that over and over again. I don't know what the point is that he's trying to prove. We all understand this year it's not going to be perfect, but we would love to have 256 imperfect NFL regular season games. All right. When... Sunday night rolls around next week, and the Cowboys go to L.A. to play the Rams. We will find out what happens during the national anthem. Jerry Jones, the owner of the team, has not said anything over the last week and a half about this effort to fashion a compromise. He's been on 105.3 The Fan in Dallas twice since last Tuesday when he talked about a compromise. It would entail players standing for the anthem and protesting in some other context. Dak Prescott, the Cowboys quarterback, making $31.4 million this year as a franchise player, he addressed the anthem yesterday. Let's listen carefully to how Dak Prescott tiptoes through this minefield. I think, if anything, you'll just see uh, guys expressing themselves, and then more so from that, you're going to see people supporting one another and loving one another. Uh, and then we'll all uh, be working toward a common goal, which in the game of football is winning. But um, in life, I think it's love and equality. I can't say that there's been one direct answer or one direct way that we're going to go about it but i I sure hope so uh that's what this country is about the freedom to do that the freedom to express yourself and um as we as we've as we've heard mr jones talk about grace uh and sharing grace and having grace with players and what they what they want to do so um if i had it my way that's exactly what we do is uh express ourselves individually but love and support one another collectively I really don't know what that means. When I saw the words in writing, I thought one thing. When I hear him deliver it, I, I think another. I when hear, I saw okay. it in writing, yeah. right, I, I hear I, I hear that he's hoping that they all do one thing together for the anthem, but have other ways to individually express themselves. Is that how you're interpreting it? I heard that I, I thought he was more or less saying, hey, if guys want to kneel, just let them kneel and let's be supportive and show love for each other because it's their right and then we'll all come together and with grace after that. 
I, that's kind of the way I took it there at the end. Maybe I'm crazy. I mean, I know I am I, a little. I, I, I know, but th- there's just something there that that I and, and it was the last part of it. There was the way he said it that made me think. And, and I'm influenced by the background here because for the last three years, Dak has been at the forefront of saying we're going to do what we do as a team. Yeah. And that there are certain things we do as a team. There are certain things we do as individuals. What we do during the anthem is one of the things we do as a team. So I'm being influenced by that background. Yeah, okay. Right. It's, yeah. It's not so it's not clear he's not coming out clearly and th- this is a situation that does not call for nuance. Either you are behind the idea of players expressing themselves by protesting during the anthem or you aren't. You cannot stake out a middle ground here. And I think that's what Dak was trying to do, trying to find a way yeah. to thread the needle. Not in the same way that Jerry Jones did. He's trying to thread the needle in a way that he's trying to make Jerry Jones feel good too. Yeah, he's worried about man. Jerry's the Joneses are listening to this. I don't. I don't want to sound like a jerk, but that quote we have on the bottom of the screen right now to me is where I went. Ooh, what? You know, I hope we can express ourselves individually because, like you said, the Cowboys have been all about team, team, team. We're gonna do it as a team. We're gonna do it as a team. And I think that's the first time, you know, a guy like Dak Prescott to kind of come out and say that, to hint at that, I, that, that to me tells me he's trying to just send a nice, gentle message to the Jones family where, like, if guys want to kneel, let them kneel. And we're going to show that we all love each other as soon as that's done, and that'll show grace. I, that's the way I kind of took it. And again, the kneeling, I think, is going to potentially go by the wayside because one of the questions is, will there be boycotts or wildcat strikes and we talked yesterday about how troy vincent the executive vp of football operations essentially said they have the right to sit out if they want to over social justice issues which could be a huge deal and chris i personally think and i want to underscore this yeah because we we've talked about the messages that are going to be on the field we've talked about the names on the bumper at the back of the helmet we may have the graphic we had it the other day when peter king was on whether it's george floyd brianna taylor Ahmad Arbery, whoever it is whose name is there, once that is out there for people to see in the tens of millions, there is going to be, I believe, a tremendous backlash. There it is. That's what it's going to look like. Once we start playing games and the casual fans tune in next Thursday night or all day Sunday, Sunday night, Monday night, whenever, and they see in the close-ups these names, no doubt. you are going to hear it over and over again. Where are the names of the police officers killed in the line of duty? Where is David Dorn? Where is this person? We know what the, the triggers are. We know what the words are. We know what the phrases are. And the NFL bracing for tweets from the president based upon whether or not of course. people kneel. Yeah. They need to be bracing for tweets from the president on this this issue. Definitely. Why are we honoring these people and not police officers who gave well, their lives in the course. line of duty? I mean, what he does is divide, so he's going to send out many tw- but I'm just, tweets they need divide. To, regardless You're of the right. merits, You're right. they need to be ready for it. You're right. Well, it's happening. I mean, listen, I could tell you there's already a guinea pig out there. I mean, it's called the NBA. I mean, I don't know. I mean, how many people have I've come across over the last three weeks? Who, I can't watch the NBA anymore. They're them and their Black Lives Matter crap. Like, get the hell out of here. What are you talking about? Of course they're going to stick up for Black Lives Matter. There's issues right. in our country. But you're right. They're going to have to get worried about it. It's going to turn some people off for sure. The other night, game seven between, help me out here, the Nuggets and who? who the, 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 the Jazz. The other night? Yeah, the Jazz. Okay. The Jazz. The New Orleans Jazz. Right. I mean, the Utah Jazz. 
th- there was a rating of 3.3 million that watched that game. So, uh, so you take what the NBA and and that's a good number in comparison to the past. First of all, the numbers aren't dropping for the NBA, even though some are suggesting that no one's watching. The yeah. people who are saying I'm not going to watch the NBA weren't watching. They weren't it watching anyway. anyways. You're right. So you take the 3.3 million and you multiply it by eight, right? Yeah. And that's the crowd that's going to tune in Sunday night next week when the Cowboys and the Rams get together. Right, right. So it's greater exposure, and greater exposure is going to result in greater controversy, and it's going to be more attention. It's going to be more focus. And my point is this. We're caught up in how people are going to react to who stands and who doesn't stand during the anthem. Get ready. Whatever side of this you're on, Whoever you are in the league, whatever job you have, you better have a plan. If you're in any sort of PR with teams and leagues, you better be ready to do something because it is going to hit the fan. And I say that as objectively as I can. We support these efforts. We think it's appropriate. We think it's proper. But we know from fending off the folks who disagree every day, all day long, on Twitter, in the comments at ProFootballTalk.com, We know what's coming, Chris, and I just want to make sure everybody else out there who's paying attention has a little has a little part of their brain set aside for this storm that's going to begin once everybody sees those helmets during games and begins to react. Yeah, no, there's going to be a storm, you know, just like there was in, in, you know, 2016 and some of that, too. Yeah, we're going to have to deal with it. It's going to be part of the sports conversation this year. The one thing that's different, though, is I don't think the NFL cares this year. They're going to support. You know, people of color, social injustice, and their players, more importantly. And that's where I want to tell that crowd that wants to, like, you know, rebuttal against some of this stuff and all that, like, tough then. You won't be watching football. I don't know what else to say. And let me just say this, and then we got to take a break. If that's the case, then let's not run and hide when the bully comes around and starts poking us in the chest. Let's stand up to him, NFL. Let's see if they do that this time around. All right, let's take a break. What's more likely coming up next here on Pro Football Talk Live? Around any corner, within every battle, and with the dawn of each new day, the threat of the unexpected, the unpredictable, and the unrelenting lies in wait. But Marines will always be there. They are the constant in the chaos. No matter the battlefield, Marines adapt to win, defeating every shifting threat, protecting our nation's future. The few, the proud, the Marines. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. I went ahead and announced that uh, Dwayne Haskins will be our starter day one, okay? 
that was just something I felt was going to be best for the football team about three weeks ago. And, 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 and again, Dwayne's lived up to everything that he and I talked about back in, uh, back in the middle of January. Ron Rivera making it clear that Dwayne Haskins, the 15th overall pick in the 2019 draft, will be the starting quarterback week one. And look, Alex Smith really hasn't had a fair chance to compete here. Right. It wasn't a full-blown competition. He just started 11-on-11 11 11 drills recently. It'll be interesting to see if Haskins struggles and Alex Smith is looking good. You know, maybe it's maybe it's it's fitting. Alex Smith's always the guy who gets benched right. for the young hotshot. Maybe this time around, he's the guy who goes in and the young hotshot's the one who gets benched. Well, I I don't think, you know, that's would be totally crazy. You know, again, Dwayne Haskins being a pretty raw second year guy. And then the biggest thing too is, you know, what's the support system around Dwayne Haskins? And I think that's questionable at best right now. I mean, yeah, we know they got Terry McLaurin and they have a decent offensive line. But after that, you know, yeah, there's there's not a lot there that right now in modern NFL. I know Adrian Peterson's there, but he's not Adrian Peterson in the old days. There's not else there, nothing else there right now that you go, ooh, you know, that's that's scary about that Washington offense. Watch out for that aspect. No, I think we just kind of named it. Haskins got a big arm. McLaurin can run, and that that's about it. So will they put enough support around him? Chris, am I wrong to say Dwayne Haskins looks different this year? Without a he doubt, he looks leaner. Definitely. He looks leaner. Right, that the baby fat's gone. He, he looks like he's ready to roll. And we've heard that throughout the offseason, how committed he's been to working, 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 working. And and look, he won the starting job, and and he he looks like a different player than he did last year. Definitely won the starting job too. And I think the thing that I'll take away from it a little bit is just there was never an inkling of that I heard through the NFL grapevine, like oh. Yeah, Haskins is really, you know, he's struggling. They're going to name him the starter, but they're not feeling good about it. Or, you know, it's been some rough days with Dwayne Haskins and things like that. To me, uh, it seems like it's all been on the up and up. And you're right, Mike. He looks like he's transformed his body, definitely. So we'll see where it takes him. All right, what's more likely then? Let's start there. Dwayne Haskins produces like a top 15 quarterback or Alex Smith is starting by September, by October, not September. It is September, by October. <laughs> Ooh. Wow. Okay. Well, I don't think Dwayne Haskins is going to perform like a top 15 QB. I don't. Uh, so I guess if you're going to make me choose either one, and I mentioned I, I like Dwayne Haskins. I just don't know if there's enough around him to say he'll be a top 15 quarterback this year. I'm not ready to say that yet. So of the two options, I'll go Alex Smith is starting by October. But I think it'll take Dwayne Haskins playing some really horrible football for that to happen. I mean, I don't think this is going to be something where they're going to go four or five games in, and if it's just been okay, they're not going to look to bench him. they got to realize that there's going to be just some okay play here and there for Dwayne Haskins and the team they have around him and everything like that. So uh, out of the two, I'll take the Alex Smith, but I'm not sure You know, I believe either one really. I agree with you, and as the producers often do, there is a huge middle ground huge. that we're not allowed to pick. We have to go one or the other, so I agree with you. Of the two options we're given, Alex Smith starting by October, although I think both you and I would land somewhere in the middle of those two propositions. How about this one, Mohamed Sanu, a guy for whom the Patriots gave up a second-round pick at the trade deadline last year to get from the Atlanta Falcons. Cut by the Patriots. Goodbye, second-round pick that was squandered for a guy that they had for half a season. So what's more likely? We spend the entire year saying the Patriots have no weapons for Cam Newton or one of the receivers on the team emerges as a high-end stud. Oh, I'm definitely going with one of the wide receivers emerges as a high-end stud. 
You know, I I I I talked to a, a player in there in New England uh, within the last week, and I know one guy that's been popping is the Enkeel Harry, the the first round pick from the 2019 draft out of Arizona State. I would be shocked. You know, big, physical, really awesome with the ball in his hands. The history of Cam Newton throwing to the, you know, Calvin Benjamins, Devin uh, Funchesses of the world. These are his type of guys. So I don't think Sanu's a big deal that he's gone. You know, I I think he was a little bit on his last leg last year. And I think the four guys we have there right now with the Patriots' weapons at receiver, Edelman, Myers, and Keel Harry, Demir Bird, I think those will be the four mainstays at the position for the most part. I know they got some young guys they like, but the Demir Bird is the other guy I've been like warned of to say watch out for, that he's been opening some eyes up there in Patriots camp too. Uh, so I, I think a, a stud will emerge. Yeah, and look, here's a point Tom Curran of NBC Sports Boston made yesterday. If you're surprised by Sanu getting cut, it's only because you haven't been at practice. That's right. He deserved to not be on the team. All right, real quickly, Joe Mixon, the Bengals running back who signed a four-year extension, says he wants to play his whole career with Joe Burrow. What's more likely, Burrow and Mixon will make everyone forget about Boomer Esiason and Icky Woods, or the duo ends up playing like Jeff Blake and Kajana Carter. Yeah, I'm going to say the the first— Not that those two were bad. No. No. But they weren't Boomer Esiason and Icky Wood. No, that's right. They weren't NFL MVP and going to a Super Bowl and one of the better teams in the AFC there for a while. I'm going to say make everyone forget about Boomer and Icky. I am. I I think this has a chance to be a special combo. There's just nothing I've seen so far that makes me feel down about Joe Burrow. There's nothing. On the field, talking, off the field, in front of the mic, whatever it is. It all looks awesome. And Joe Mixon... I mean, we talked about him yesterday. He's a stud. So I think there's big things there on offense uh, for Cincinnati. This AFC North over the course of the next 10 years is going to be incredible. And I'll tell you what, if the Steelers don't have a damn good plan post Ben Roethlisberger, they are going to be the team that is struggling to get out of the basement because they're dealing with Lamar Jackson. Baker Mayfield, if he plays more like he did in 2018, and Joe Burrow, who could end up being great. All right, we still have a full hour of PFT Live to come. Rodney Harrison joins us next. We'll be right back. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.